0: Before we begin the seventh episode of Marco Polo, an apology to patron David Spofforth. David very helpfully pointed out to me after I'd published episode four, Wall of Lies, that that episode contained the answer to a mystery we currently are unable to solve about Marco Polo and Doctor Who in general. Uh, So I address that in this episode because... These episodes are lucky enough that I'm so close to the wire with my release dates that um, I released episode four before I'd recorded episode six. So this is how it's like it's like Terminus in the studio all over again. It's the last minute. Uh, and um, David pointed out that, yeah, Wall of Lies has the answer to a mystery. So, so uh, I, I talk about that in this episode because I... Didn't talk about it in episode four. I was too busy talking about Cups and the character actor Sidney Bromley because I'm a hopeless idiot. Uh, And to compound my hopeless idiocy, I have been talking to another patron because that's one of the advantages of Patreon. So mm, do go there, patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke, because we have back and forth. So I've been talking to another David uh, uh about uh, david gillespie about fluffs in the avengers which david is educating me are legion and rather exciting and i might go when i get a spare minute go uh go back and look at some i would remembered some blinking eyes he says that one's quite famous but there are there are other fluffs in the avengers in comparison to, to doctor who you know the the fluffs are not unique to doctor who is is how this came about so we were having that chat so then when i was talking about uh, my mistake, well, or my the absence of comment in Wall of Lies about its uh, unique potential to solve, solve a Doctor Who mystery. In what you're about to hear, which is recorded in the past, for me recording this now, but in the future, in terms of what you're listening to, uh, I credit David Gillespie, not David Spofforth, with pointing out the Wall of Lies absence. So I'm addressing that here, and also plugging my patron page, patreon.com forward slash toby but i hope you enjoy this especially the two davids welcome to happy times and places a positively inclined but often ineptly put together doctor who episode commentary podcast marshalled by me toby Haydock, in which i try to guess what my special guests favorite things are about the doctor who story of their choice
1: Hello, my name is Jeremy Bentham. I'm very pleased to nominate as my Doctor Who story for Toby's uh, Enterprise, Marco Polo.
0: Well, welcome back, everybody, to this commentary for Marco Polo, in which I am ably assisted and prompted and inspired by Doctor Who fan of your Jeremy Bentham, uh, who wrote marvellous Doctor Who, the early years book, Uh, a repository of some of the most spellbinding and awe-inspiring pictures from early Who uh, that uh, was a Christmas treasure trove for me when I was a time tot. So uh, Jeremy has been very methodically uh, assessing the various qualities provided by Marco Polo, where I've been a bit more scatterbrained. But that is the nature of these things. So I hope you've been enjoying uh, if, like me, sort of rather discovering a, a, a story, as I say, I'd, I'd experienced a couple of times only, but certainly don't know as well as, you know, somewhere it's just much easier to, you know, pop a DVD uh, or, or in the old days a VHS uh, into the machine and, uh, and watch over and over again. And we've got to episode six. So let's see what that has to offer. I'm going to press play in three, two, one. Um, So a couple of uh, things to note. Something I didn't talk about with episode four, the one that we don't have telesnaps for, is that we have a Doctor Who mystery there, of course. And thanks to uh, various of my patrons, I think it was David Gillespie, who's a a great correspondent on my Patreon uh, page, for pointing out that uh, there was something I could have talked about instead of um, my Where's Wally Cup, which... Uh, cup fans, I uh, know uh, Michael Dennis is one of the leading Cup aficionados in Haydocksville. Patron, um, uh, the, the the is the, the 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 where's Wally mug is chipped on the bottom, but otherwise seems structurally sound. Uh, Mighty Kubla Khan is this episode of Marco Polo, and uh, the episode title looks uh, to have been superimposed on a shot of the top of the TARDIS, which is rather lovely. I love the fact that this scene takes place at night it's really atmospheric and as i say we know that that shot of uh tigana with his with his arm around susan's neck um uh, and ian comes out to, to confront him and of course uh, you know you really believe this bloodthirsty time and that tigana would quite happily dispatch susan um and it's nice that the doctor you know ian does the initial uh moment of confrontation but the doctor comes out sort of as, as the figure of authority right at the end, and he's quite stern. I've, I've, I find Hartnell's performance in this very interesting. It's not quite like his performance in some other stories, I would say. But look, um episode four, I started talking about, and David Gillespie, who pointed out on my Twitter that it is the source of one mystery that we cannot currently, with the resources we have available, solve, and that is... Uh, this is one that uh, I'm I'm sure will appeal to all fans of Doctor Who, is when, because if you look at the closing titles of this episode, uh, Mighty Kubla Khan and and, and Khan, and indeed the episode before, uh, the cast list, font and credits are centre-aligned, however you describe it, you know. Uh, Whereas for episodes one to three, they are left justified. So, uh, you know, the, the... the the writing as you know as to the left, uh, and the last left justified that we can see uh, with photographic evidence is the closing titles of episode three, and the first center justified is in the closing titles to episode five. So, did the justification change? Did John Crockett come in and change it, uh, and then that just continued to be the way, or? Was that just a coincidence and that John Crockett's episode was the last with the left justified? Until we get off-screen stills from Wall of Lies or the episodes themselves, we will never know. And I like the fact that we have that little mystery. Um, And it's one of those nice mysteries that actually nobody, you know, there are always some some mysteries where people have a theory and then people argue and go... Whereas this is one where we just simply don't know. There is not one thing that is more likely than the other because... uh, Often there weren't plans with these sorts of things and habits formed and, you know, did anybody really sort of sit down and go, do you know what, Doctor Who, we're nearly there with Doctor Who, but the 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 alignment of the closing credits is, it's simply that the show dies for me if it stays left justified. I love this scene between Ian and Marco, two decent men having a face-off and Ian, come episode six, I think I alluded to this before and uh, was was talking over a sort of similar scene where they have to establish trust in an earlier episode. But but here, you know, they've been through so much. They've been traveling companions who've uh, endured much and but en- enjoyed friendship and all of that. And Ian comes out, he trusts Marco. And I like the fact that Marco is not, you know, the primitive the doctor describes him as, because the doctor is wrong. Um, but uh, that Ian can trust Marco and say, "Look, it's a time machine. Please give it back." But Ian is caught out in his own wall of lies because he has been dishonest with Marco before. He's been, and and actually at this juncture because, of course, they've lied to protect Ping Cho, which I I like as well. I love these layers of you know you know white lying as we would 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 call it. Uh, uh, which, uh, you know, it looked heroic when Ian uh, covered for Ping Cho there. But, of course, Marco is not daft. And I like the fact that Marco is never allowed to be stupid. Um, and Marco goes, well, I actually, I know that you were lying to cover Ping Cho. But, no, but so I know you're capable of lying. Now, of course... I mean, this is how we conduct ourselves in in Twitter now, you know, because, you know, because somebody, the idea that somebody is capable of lying about something trivial means they'll lie about something. We've always done it in politics, you know, somebody, oh, somebody lies to their wife by having an affair with their secretary. That means they'd lie to the population. I think that's, I think that's an extremely daft um, uh, parallel to draw, I I mean, if you're out there, if anyone listening to this has never lied under any circumstances, well, I take my hat off to you. Um, I've I've lied in all sorts of circumstances, but I like to think that, I, you know, were, were it to be something of real import um, and principle, I like to think I wouldn't lie. But of course, sometimes we lie to ourselves as well. Interesting. Anyway, I like the way that it is used in this drama, and, and, and Marco makes a perfectly... Reasonable point. You lied about Ping Cho, so I'm 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 not going to believe your claim. You're from another time. Well, as I, and as I say, I think that is reasonable, and that is the reason. Not that Marco goes. Oh, I'm from the older days and thick and can't conceive of such a thing. Uh, I also love the last line where he goes. And if I did believe you, you'd have the key. I find that actually very moving and very you know decent, empathic character writing. Um, also though, what's interesting is that we are expected to believe that you know, that that Marco saw what is it, cups full of wine move from Tibetan monks, tables to mouths or whatever it is he said, that there is some magic that he talks about. And we're we're never asked to question that. Now in the world of doctors, as we understand it now, you know, we don't we don't really have, you know, magic, Tibetan monks I mean and there is occasionally no, there is occasionally telekinesis in Doctor Who I suppose but I don't know I, I find I find that stretches my credulity because it's magic within the real world if you like more than I do other things I, I, I would prefer to forget the idea that in the Doctor Who universe magic monks are considered a real thing even if by somebody from 700 years ago or whatever because he's because he's saying that he saw it so are we supposed to believe there are magic monks but then again, we've had people levitate stuff with their mind in other Doctor Who. Uh, so, in fact, I am I have double standards there. That's interesting. <laughs> and until I started going, but we don't believe in magic monks. It, the other, you know, I'd, I'd actually chosen to forgotten all the areas where we do have telekinesis in Doctor Who. Uh, and they only came into my head as I was talking about them. So it's... We make a universe of our own rules, and those rules have inconsistencies. Now, um, Gábor Baráka, Wang Lo, here he is, and Kuitju Tatiļenko. Now, I mentioned that Tatiļenko is uh, unfortunate in that none of his episodes of Doctor Who exist. Uh, Gábor Baráka is the same; none of because he he returns in the Crusade, but only in episode two which no longer exists. Ah, and Zora Seagal, who is also in this, but is a non-speaking artist, uh, but has a speaking part in The Crusade, but only in episode two. Um, So actually all three of them are unfortunate in that none of their uh, episodes of Doctor Who exist. Um, So in fact, I'm sure if you would like to um, be one of those people, you could go on Twitter and say that... um, uh, missing episodes are actually inherently problematic because uh, of uh, of their racism, because because uh, uh, Garbo Baraka was Hungarian, uh, Tati Lemko was, I think he was born in Norway, but I, some some things I've read say he was Swedish, so he's a Scandinavian Jew. Uh, and an Indian actress have all been put per- who've, who've appeared in more than one Doctor Who story because obviously we have Zedia Merton in this as well and and uh, Basil Tang and and the, 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 those various actors. Um, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, but 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 multi-story appearing Doctor Who actors from uh, other uh, uh, you know from other other countries and other, other cultures and backgrounds uh, have all been wiped by the missing episode purge. So you heard it here. Uh, first, Pamela Nash and the BBC purging people were all systematically, structurally racist or something, whatever you want to do there. Uh, yes. Uh, but I like uh, Gabor Baraka. He has a, a great time of being sort of uh, very sort of capably uh, remonstrating. Uh, I think I think his would be an enjoyable performance. Could we see it? Uh Ah uh, silly child <laughs> oh bless well, we've got loads of photos of this as well, but uh, they're all largely from the side of poor old uh Gabor baraka um oh, but there's a telesnap full on oh well, aren't we so lucky to have this glorious? you can't refer to the telesnaps um uh, online of course because they were they were in. Um, Waris Hussain's private collection so I'm not even as familiar with those as I am with some of the ones that in uh, the early days of the internet and the Doc Two website I would patiently flick through because, uh, oh, Basil Tang uh Basil Tang, who plays Office Foreman, who gives one of the most muted performances in the whole of Doctor Who, he was also the uh, the sort of check-in point. I wouldn't be so bold as to say agent because I don't know and I don't think so, but he was certainly the contact for a lot of the the extras um, uh, that they use in later episodes that were... Uh, uh, so, so some are from the so-called... Peggy Sir's um, Oriental Casting Agency, but other other supporting artists of that kind were um, were telephone. Basil Tang was the person that you contacted to 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 give the call times or or to you know as the point of contact for some of the ones in the later episodes. So he was more than just a not very good actor. Uh, he he was also the sort of he was a sort of way station, if you like, between the production office and those performers um Basil Tang returns uncredited uh in later Doctor Who stories including he's uh, he's the Chinese delegate in in Day of the Daleks um uh yes Basil Tang there we are and i and i yeah i i like the drama between all of the people you know a lot of this is people talking in rooms and some of it quite long scenes i mean that scene between marco and ian was was very long but i thought it was absolutely lovely uh, and I th- and and what seemed like window dressing. It's interesting. I've been going through uh, a lot of the the, the newspaper stuff because I'm doing a sister podcast to this. Too much information. Um, and a lot of the early newspaper sort of synopsis say, a Doctor Who meets Marco Polo, uh, and there is also a Chinese girl who's going to get married to an old man. And I never really considered Ping Cho's subplot as, as being particularly important. It was a reason for her being there and, and, and having a friend to Susan. But actually, of course... Uh, the, 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 when the story needs a couple of extra episodes uh, actually that that being seeded in as early as it is is very helpful because the reason ian is now away and finds the tardis is because he's gone looking for ping cho who's run away because she doesn't want to marry the guy also that's the, the key issue as well but but it means that that story impacts on the regular story it's not just sort of side dressing you know you, you know to have a little bit of a subplot for a for a for a um, a character a, a one-off character it does actually impact on on the movements of the main plot as we get towards uh you know our destination and and need need our, our main characters to split off and indeed going about the important business of finding the TARDIS um I I and and I like the way that Barbara fronts off to Tigana but and actually I've sort of taken the mickey uh, thanks to Kieran Hodgson's brilliant you know I am not suspicious at all He he's actually comes across as very reasonable in these scenes you know he is he is a plausible uh, uh, force you can see you can actually see why Marco will will take him at his word um and, you know, that Marco is a good man, but, you know, he defers to the hierarchy of the time, which is if Kublai Khan says something, you damn well do it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and if, if you didn't, you were probably in an awful lot of trouble. Uh, so, you know, although Marco is a good guy, he's also he's, he's not going to do anything that's going to get him into trouble. Um, oh, I love the look of these costumes. I love to see these performances. And I, I think these scenes have enough dramatic meat um and are well enough written the dialogue is is very good you know sometimes lots of people in a room um arguing in doctor who doesn't isn't isn't necessarily that compelling but i think the dialogue of john lucarotti is superior and we know that waris hussein if the way that he shoots the cave people uh is is any example is that you know, he knows how to favor the actors and, you know, give us an insight into their thoughts, as well as what they're saying. So there's a lot more going on than the dialogue and the vocal performances. So I I, uh, I would be, I, I, I sometimes think with Marco Polo, oh, is it, is it so over-familiar um, visually, because we've got so many pictures. Um, that, that you know do, do do should we not be asking for other episodes I know it doesn't matter which episodes we ask for to come back but I would usually say you know my three I want back would be Mythmakers, Massacre and Marco the three M's even though Troutman is my favourite Doctor um, and, but is that me going ah oh, it's because we've got you know no moving pictures from any of them really um, uh, and, and and is it or is it because Marco Polo's seven episodes, so you get more? <laughs> um, now, Clive Doig, the vision mixer, always says that there was a camera movement in the Palace of Kublai Khan where the camera sort of sweeps in for this entrance, and somebody knocks a, a, a pillar or a column over, and it wobbles and falls over. And Clive was amazed that it stayed in. Now we will never know unless we get the episode. I, 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 I suspect, you know, history and yarn telling have probably, uh, exaggerated that, but, and, 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 but there may have been, you know, a, a noticeable set wobble say, or a camera, you know, crashing into something slightly. We have the, we have cameras crashing into stuff, don't we? On some existing episodes. I think if the whole set had collapsed, as Clive sometimes tells it, they, they would have done it again. Um, I, I like the vizier who just keeps telling them to kowtow. Uh it's quite funny. and of course this is where um the story I mean Wang Lo is is quite funny and there's and there's there's certain amounts of wit uh in, in the dialogue and in the exchanges and particularly the characterization of the Doctor. But I think it is in Mighty Kubla Khan that John Lucarotti goes, Right, we we can really have fun now and he said it was because in the Canadian radio series that he'd written he'd written Kubla Khan as this you know mighty warlord character as he is so often uh, depicted Uh, the actor had decided to play him as a sort of doddery eccentric knackered old thing and so when he came to do his Doctor Who he remembered that sadly nameless now actor uh, and uh, and and wrote that performance into the characterisation of his Doctor Who Kubla Khan so you have this mighty wheeze this wonderful gag that and there's a brilliant picture here of everybody's asses as they all do their kowtowing except for Hartnell, who sort of has to stay straight up because he's got the gout. I, I do sort of like it when the doctor is this sort of this 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 person slightly removed from the reality of the situation because he's because he's worried about his back. <laughs> that's right. that's, and it's really interesting, isn't it, that, that how different writers respond to the brief and how they think the doctor's role should be in it, um, Uh and, and and here the you know the doctors is sort of a- almost um uh unaware of the wider threat even though you know an intelligent time traveler would know that Kublai khan is is very powerful because he's so worried about his back but in so doing in so being so ignorant of that sort of protocol and consumed in his own sciatica and gout or whatever um that he uh that he then endears himself to a similarly afflicted old man, but, but not doing a Pertwee and going my life at your command and, you know, knowing how to do the right salute and, you know, some would say suck, sucking up to authority. I actually quite like the fact that, that Pertwee knows how to do things the, proper way but uh, i also understand that that's sort of at odds with the, those who like their doctor to be an, an anarchist I'm, I'm i'm one of those terrible mixtures of both is that i believe in the revolution but i think it should be achieved by a correct correctly phrased letter to the editor of the times <laughs> um there was uh, but but yes this this idea that the the doctor's so worried about his back that he endears himself to the khan and the comedy idea that the khan is this and martin miller's tiny isn't he um and wizened and it's a it's a it's a convincing makeup again you wouldn't do it you wouldn't do it now but uh uh he's got long fingernails and everything and of course martin miller um was a czechoslovakian jew who'd escaped the holocaust and like many people of his kind um, from all over the world, was uh, was was welcomed into the British theatrical profession—a very welcoming place. And I've I've read interviews and indeed conducted interviews with with um, you know m- many actors from that time. And, and is it Stephen Bourne who, did, who 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 went to the trouble of interviewing a lot of black performers from that time who who, who found themselves very welcomed into. The theatrical profession, and uh, even though they, you know, a lot of the times the parts that uh, would now go to would rightly now, n- no question, only go to actors of of, of the correct, you know, the correct nationality or you know the the genuine article, as it were, um, were given to actors like Martin Miller, um, you know, because, because acting under heavy makeup was part of what character actors did, but, and, you know, yes, things have, things have changed and Im- improved, but, uh, um, let's not write off, uh, Czechoslovakian Jew escaping from Hitler, Martin Miller as one of the, <laughs> you know, one of, one of the perpetrators of, uh, some awful racist slight against, uh, East Asian performers, um, because he was taking part in the theatrical tradition of, you know, heavily made made up character actors doing that kind of thing, which was the norm at the time. Um, as I say, it's not it's not a call to return to those times, but I think it's just a reminder that pointing at them and just going, "Well, that's just racist," uh, is is devoid of context and uh, a, a keenness to scold that I find a bit. <laughs> uh, whilst celebrating the fact that we have improved the way we do such things. Although there is also still improvement of representation that needs to continue. Um, and I've probably overemphasized that now, but um, one sometimes needs to. The uh, The paint, even on these pictures, the paintings outside the window of Kublai Khan's palace are, are obvious paintings. Um, but again, that was... I, you know, it's a suggestion of what is outside and the audience at home who are used to watching, you know, theatres with, with painted backdrops know that it is a, is a it is a suggestion. There's no attempt at photorealism. Um, and they could have gone for that if they'd had the budget or wanted to or thought it was a priority, but it was enough to go, well, we'll just have a painted psych outside the window and the audience will go with it. And those that don't, well... That's that's you, isn't it? If if if, if you watch a, uh, a an exciting piece of drama with good acting and good writing, and you come away going, uh, yeah, but I think you'll find that curtain outside the window is painted. Then I'm I'm very happy for you, but I'm I'm not m- mightily interested in having a conversation with you. <laughs> it's like going. It's a beautiful sunny day, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, all that is is this great big orange orb in the sky that's been giving heat and light to the planet for as long as it lives. I mean, that's that's all it is, mate. Anyone could do that. Um. Uh, I lo- T- Tutti Lemko. Uh, I do wish we could see some of his. Uh, he was a he was a, a famous dancer, uh, uh, and of course was in Fiddler on the Roof. Um, and oh, and here we have another Tigana flavored cliffhanger. Um, and of course this is this is another one where our You know, our standards and our morals and the ways that we do things are put to the test. Ian goes, all right, I'll kill him. Now, we know that's a bluff because Ian would never kill him. Um, And Tigana beautifully would and doesn't give a monkey's. And goes, all right, then kill him. And you go, "Ah, okay, that's not going to work. And then he just has to quietly say, come, come. And it's brilliant. It's a it's a real contrast to some often you know kill them now or big explosive, you know da 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 cliffhangers. It's it's a much more leisurely uh, and becalmed kind of. Oh, I've got. Ta- I am. I am not worried about you in the slightest. He's a great villain, uh, and and again all those great character dynamics that make this story such a beautiful, beautiful thing that i do miss i miss i miss more from uh from having experienced it in this way where i'm having to give it a little bit more scrutiny and, and and you know sort of yeah understand it a little bit bit more i i i definitely feel well we'll talk about we'll talk about it in part part 7 where it stands in the uh in the whole of the uh the pantheon of season one and Hartnell as a whole and the 60s as a whole I think it's an important story I think it's a high-end literate script it's a high-end worthy production Uh, and uh, and, uh, obviously the design of costume and sets looks incredible pretty faultless cast apart from maybe Basil Tang mumbling his way in um, but you know, uh, n- not a white character actor under heavy makeup. So you go, that, you know, there's uh, we, we that you know. So that's a price worth paying in a way um, that they went. Well, let's let's try and let's try and get some of the real deal in, even though there are a limited uh, number at our disposal. But then the idea that you know. You would say, well, Basil Tang should play Tigana uh, or Kublai Khan um, is, uh, you know, would is, is 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 I think wishful thinking. Um, right. I bang that drum quite a lot. Sorry, um, not because. Uh, well, look, like I've I've said it all. I've said it all. You can. Mis- I'm sure somebody could mischaracterize this if they wanted to, but. Um, but um, please don't, <laughs> because that's I'm I'm not saying the bad thing. You could say that I'm saying. Uh, right, um, I'm going to choose. I think I'm going to choose the comedy. I'm going to choose the fact that at and it, and it's an important element of Doctor Who. And I think we often talk of the arrival of Dennis Spooner as the time when uh, you know. Doctor Who realized that comedy was an essential part of its DNA he certainly was very good at synthesizing that the comedic aspects of the program with with the you know more dramatic and and, and all of the other stuff that was there was already in place and uh, and you know people talk of the romans as being an out and out comedy and perhaps a mistake and it, it, it that needed reining in a little bit i love the romans but i know so the you know the production team at the time thought maybe we've gone a little bit too far of going for pure comedy here Although there's plenty of the romans that isn't funny and deliberately not funny um but where it's funny it really goes for the funny doesn't it but actually i i would say you know there's. And unlike the Aztecs, which Lucarotti does later, the, he's he really, he really ladles in the comedy here, w- specifically with that characterisation of Kublai Khan. Although Wang is quite funny too, but I think I think some of that is is Gabor Baraka um, being, uh, to use Clive Merrison's description of his his own acting, and I think it's a it's a nice way of describing a particular kind of acting as vivid, very vivid. I like that. I think Garbor Baraka and Tutty Lemko are both vivid performers. But Martin Miller's characterization and and the way that Kubla Khan is scripted is is del- is a deliberate bit of Beethos. It's a deliberate bit of, of of sort of you know building up, uh, you know this great all-powerful figure, and then the, the gag is he's a, a guy with gout shuffling in, and being all grumpy about it, and then that helps the story because that's how he bonds with the Doctor, and we have the ingenious setup for next week, which we'll talk about next week uh, where the Doctor trying to win the TARDIS back which is uh, delightful and again beautifully done um, so I think yeah the introduction of comedy at this point com- comedy becomes you know we I, I think Doctor Who uh, you know a, a, an essential element ingredient of Doctor Who is its wit um, and sometimes it goes too far with the comedy and sometimes it tries to be too serious but I think at its best It is when it goes about its business very seriously, but with the wit of its performers and its writers intact. And I think that is what uh, happens here in Marco Polo, episode six. It is still a serious drama. There is still serious intent in the storytelling, but there is wit. In the performances and in the characterization, and in this particular element of the story, and it's been deliberately sort of sprinkled in now. Maybe because Lucarotti felt they needed a different dynamic six episodes in of a seven-parter. Um, maybe just because he liked the joke, but it certainly it, it helps, and it's a contrast to much that has gone before. It's a new, it's a re, you know, it's a, it's pretty much a new element and a new tone this late in the story, which I think it needs. So I'm going for the sort of Comedy slash the wit slash the, the, the deliberately um, uh, uh, sort of um, contrasting uh, depiction of Kublai Khan in, in terms of what we were led to expect and what, what history tells us. Jeremy Bedtham will probably choose something like. Uh, uh, well, he's going to choose something. Well, no, let's see. Let's see. I, I was going to say he's probably going to choose something very correct and proper, like the BBC production schedule uh, or something, because he's he's methodical and he's smart and he's clever. Um, and he did not say "um" or "interesting" like I do, to, to, to the extent that I do. Anyway, Jeremy Bentham on *Mighty Kubla Khan
1: I mentioned at the beginning how mesmerized I was at uh, first reading the scripts for Marco Polo. And I don't just mean mesmerized purely by the physical quality of the scripts, which was remarkable in itself in that they are one of the few Doctor scripts that's actually composed and printed on full scap paper, which for the benefit of uh, youngsters among us, uh, it's a style of paper that preceded A4. It was narrower than A4, but also longer. Which made it incredibly torturous when uh, I got permission to have, to be allowed a copy of the script for personal research purposes. Because they had to write little notes in at the bottom of certain pages to make sure the, uh, the information that was missing from the photocopier could appear on, uh, on my, my copies of it. No, the remarkable thing about the scripts for Polo is there's so much in it these days that you couldn't do nowadays in a children's or even a family viewing programme. There's big sections on drug abuse in the in the, um, the Five Hundred Eyes episode. The whole concept of Ping Chou being trafficked to be married to a seventy-five year old man who then expires when he takes a like a Chinese version of Viagra to make sure he could um, you know do the lead when required. It's 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 all you know pretty subversive stuff for a for a five fifteen program on BBC television. The lovely thing about uh, Lucarotti's script, though, is that it also includes comedy, not obvious comedy, but certainly when you get to this episode, Mighty Kublai Khan, where you finally know you're going to meet the object of the episode's title, Mighty Kublai Khan, you're expecting some Arnold Schwarzenegger or General Xerxes figure to come striding into this enormous, great, tall palace. Instead, the doors open and out toddles, bent over double, little Martin Miller, absolutely weighed down by his arthritis and looking very much the antithesis of a mighty ruler of the world and of course the the, the comedy there is that he's flanked by the quite voluminous Claire Davenport as the empress and it's just visually amusing in the way that it's constructed and you can see why William Hartnell when he was uh, talking about Marco Polo said he enjoyed the comedy moments in this story and probably Mighty Kublai Khan is the most amusing of all of the episodes of this epic serial. So I'm commending the scripts as my special reason for pointing out a high point of this episode.
0: Now, listen up, everybody. I was slightly worried then. I mean, he said he was going to choose the production... What was it I said? The production schedule. Uh, schedule. Uh, I was slightly worried he was then going to say, uh, I'm going to choose the fact that the scripts are on fool's cap paper. And then I just go, ah, no chance. Under that. But then he mentioned the comedy, and, uh, and, but he's rounded that up as the scripts as the whole thing. Do I get half a point? Go on. Let me at least bask can you bask in a shadow no you're shaded in a shadow aren't you you don't bask in a shadow unless it's a, a a shadow that has nourishing and regenerative properties maybe jeremy's shadow is sunlight and scholasticism so i'm gonna bask in his shadow you do bask in a shadow but that seems counterintuitive when shadows are mostly dark and hide you from the sun Yeah, what's the sun anyway um i'm basking in his shadow uh uh, and I took half a point because he pointed out that specifically this episode, it was the comedy and the Kubla Khan and all of that. And I think probably the only time in any of my podcasts where uh, General Xerxes will be invoked. So I'm delighted by that. Um, and I also like the fact that Jeremy likes all things you wouldn't be allowed to do today with the, and it's very true, the the, the drugs. And yes, um, the, we, we'll come to um, Ping Cho's partner to be in episode seven. We haven't got to that yet. Um, but yes, and indeed, I mentioned that too in earlier episodes with the stabbings, which were much more de rigueur in 1964 than they would be now. And those things are of interest to note, if you know, from an historical point of view, where we go, things that they they do differently than for you know reasons that were perfectly understandable to them that we now look at and go, oh yeah, well, but we wouldn't we wouldn't do that now. Um, and some yes, we we are very pleased about, but then some like you know, trusting the audience t- to be intelligent and <laughs> and uh, t- taking your time with you know certain things and uh and certainly but i think being a little bit more rigorous about uh, uh, uh about sort of intellectual ideas and stuff um are, are, are things that we've lost that you know one rather laments um and you know i i always i think any what, what i love about doctor who is i i don't think it's a children's program uh, well we know you know we have this we it's what we tell people isn't it it's never made by the children's department it was made by the drama department but it but it is a kids show you know you, you 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 you're first drawn to it when you're a kid because i think doctor who is a is a is a program that is suitable for children if not being you know when it's written down to two children any any children's program that's written down to children commits a sin but doctor who in particular i think has to it has to be aware of the children you don't have anything overtly sexual in it and i, I think it's it's a bit embarrassing when it when it does although then when in, in in androids of tara you know peter jeffrey goes i showed uh, madame lamia <coughs> a certain courtesy as a grown-up you go oh that's a sexual reference in doctor i rather like that so actually uh, you you can have that if you do it sparingly and with wit and restraint oh that's a word we don't hear enough these days god i'm turning into a right old <laughs> turning to a right old puritan um but i think doctor who is is at its best when it's mindful of the child audience so the writers then have to restrict themselves much in the same way that this, the the you know the, the visualizers of doctor who have to restrict themselves because of its comparatively low budget so that it has to use its imagination rather than special effects sometimes doctor who's writers have to use their imagination beyond what you just show to an adult because you have to sometimes be a little bit squeamish about some things because you know that there is a child audience there and like the lack of special effects or the low budget being a breeder of invention which I think is to Doctor Who's advantage because necessity is the mother of in- invention and invention makes for a more interesting experience exactly the same with Doctor Who because the writers have to write something that is is suitable for children is acceptable children's viewing but is also something that entertains adults without out adults having to make too many compromises which is why so many adults watch Doctor Who and fewer watch button moon or, or tea bag or or whatever I I'd say you know I say doctor who is doctor who is a, a a children's program that adults adore you know as Gerard Garrett of the daily sketch said and that you know I, I there are certain kids shows I watch, but I, you know, in the back of my mind, it's that these are kids shows. Um, whereas with Doctor Who, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't feel I'm watching a kids show. But maybe my psychology is wrapped up in that. So, you know, it's it's interesting to view what was acceptable in a kids show then, and what wouldn't be acceptable now, and some of the things that we do now that actually wouldn't be acceptable then. And and some show progress, some do not. Some some just show that. Things are different sometimes, and that is just interesting. Uh, I find it all interesting, uh, which is why looking back on, uh, you know, the history of Doctor Who can be inst- instructive and thought-provoking and just plain enjoyable, and that's why uh, that's why we do it. Uh, and, uh, you know, Marco Polo shows many of these aspects, just as much, if not more, than many others, uh, and having such a, an insightful companion and long for the ride as, as Jeremy Bentham uh, has made me think about those things even more. And I you too, I hope. and I hope they've helped you to enjoy a story that doesn't have spaceships or monsters uh, or a lot of the traditional trappings of who as we understand it today, but is still definitely and understand you know and in many of its key elements, very much a Doctor Who story. And actually, a really good one at that. So thank you for viewing and listening. And uh, let's see what happens uh, when somebody uh, admits an assassin to Peking. Not going to be very good news for somebody. Until next time, take care. Thank you very much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest, J. Jeremy Bentham. I'm grateful to him and to the patrons who make these podcasts possible and they include David Spofforth and David Gillespie who are not the same person Jonathan Molyneux Kevin Murdoch Stephen Chris Stokes Kevin West Michael Herbert Dr. Gary Thomas C.M. Andrew Larson Jeff Edwards Steve Cunniff Jace Mayo Chris Williams Luke Atkins, Pete Adamson John Arnold Kevin Ashelford James Bell David Bickley, Will Brooks, Rick Byatt, Gary Byrne, Robin Bland, Alex Kapajoglu, Paul Carnahan, Andy Case, John Curley, Mark Dakin, John Elledge, Sam Esterem, Gary Gillett, James Gould, Lisa C Greco, David Green, Fraser Gregory, Paul Gregory, and Dave Hoskin. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. If you would like to become a patron, then you would know what it's like to uh, wait for the release of the latest episode. As I record this, I normally release episodes for patrons at one minute past midnight. This episode was due to be released 15 minutes ago. I mean, look, it's not I don't guarantee it, but it's just what, uh, what people are used to. So I'm not breaking any laws. I, I, I'm not in breach of contract. However, I'm recording this now as my... Uh, other half sleeps and I have to say occasionally makes a snorty noise but uh, I, I think I'm insulated enough from that to spare her blushes um, uh, <laughs> to record this sort of slightly sort of voce and in the dark because she's, she's fallen asleep in front of the Swedish drama that we're watching which is called Before We Die so uh, I had to wait uh, until after she'd uh, fallen asleep fully uh, to record this and then whack it out for patrons who pay from three pounds per month and they get bonus material they get extra releases they get uh, advance releases so they are listening to this oh you know six six months in advance of you lot so even if it is 15 minutes late uh, it's 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 six months minus 15 minutes before you've got it uh, and uh, yeah, the happy times and places at least six months in advance, and they get monthly AM- AMAs. And there are other things as the tiers go above the three pounds, but most things are available at the lowest tier because I don't like withholding things really. But uh, you know, the nature of the beast is that you have to lure people up the ladder, so I do it with the odd trinket. But you know, you you get pretty much everything essential at the lowest tier, and you can even get a ten percent discount on that if you go for a year in advance uh you can also do the Kofi option which doesn't tie you into a monthly payment um uh, it doesn't get you any of the bonuses unfortunately but uh, it is a way of you to um you know to help support these financially and to keep them ad free i mean i'll be honest with you unless i'm you know really in in, in dire dire straits um uh, i i won't be putting adverts on this but um uh, uh throwing throw me the odd copper that justifies my decision to do that rather than have me not do it on a point of principle and and feel foolish uh, but look I know times are tough uh, and uh, uh, you know I know it's not very becoming to uh, hold out my hand so I hold out my hand mostly in friendship uh, and gratitude that you listen to this stuff but if you enjoy it and I hope you do uh, I'm, I'm always you know, happy to receive feedback if you say it nicely, um, but uh, also if you could go on all the social medias and make nice noises about these, uh, and if you could give them a five-star rating everywhere you can, it really helps to get the word out there about these, and to leave some nice lines of review, that really helps to get other people to notice these and listen to them and hopefully like them as well. Uh, And if you're outside of the UK and you have Doctor Who fan friends who might not have uh, uh, had these, you know, thrown in their direction, please throw away, chuck chuck, chuck them them into their yard, Uh, because, you know, I'd like to reach out across the world um, with the positive message of, uh, you know, how much fun there is to be had um, mining Doctor Who's past and uh, being cheerful about its future. So uh, any help in that regard is hugely appreciated. And, uh, yeah, those key uh, addresses are patreon.com forward slash Toby Haddock and koficom ficom forward slash Toby Haddock. Thank you. Oh, yeah, and the social media. Uh, these are on Twitter. At Haydok Podcasts, H-A-D-O-K-E. Is that how you spell my surname? Well, it's how I spell it. I wish everybody else would. Um, I'm on Twitter at Toby Haydoke. My comedy club, Excess Malarkey, is on Twitter too. At Excess Malarkey. That's an X. That's an S. M-A-L-A-R-K-E-Y. Not that doesn't seem to be a massive yoke in the Venn diagram of people who like my comedy and people who like my Doctor Who witterings, although I try and cross fertilise each with both. But um, you know that yeah, Excess Monarchy is, is just a nice comedy club every Tuesday in Manchester at 8pm. Please do tell your friends about it, and we do a monthly show on Twitch the first Sunday of every month. Uh, w- well, when we can, we've had a few blips lately, but whenever you go up there, there's an archive of performances from when we were forced online during the plague but uh, we turned that to our advantage by getting acts from all over the world to do their best into their computer screens at home whilst uh, all our doors were locked and the pandemic raged outside and we got some brilliant acts um, uh, you know uh, multinational international uh, acts of all different kinds to show you know how great and interesting and healthy and inventive the comedy circuit is and i truly believe it is and i work at its grassroots you know all of the time and i'm, I'm pleased to spread the word about that as well live comedy can't beat it although given the choice between live comedy and w- watching the returned episodes of marco polo I'm, I'm i might temporarily rescind that statement or at least put it on hold or do what most people do and Pretend I never said it ever and double down when people confront me with the evidence. (laughs) Welcome to the modern world. One episode left, Assassin at Peking. Now, I've seen pictures of a film can that had Assassin at Peking... On it, did one of those turn up? Uh, I don't think it was one of the ones that was a fake. I think I think the film can turned up, and uh, something else was in it. Um, I haven't alluded to it. I've done the commentary for Assassin at Peking. I, I record the closing credits and whatever this rubbish is. Uh, sometimes after I've done the commentaries for the episodes uh, for reasons that are too boring to go into. Um, So I I haven't mentioned the the film can, but so I mention it here just because it might be a reminder to people, go, oh, yeah, I've seen those pictures. Um, I think the story was behind it was that it turned up in Australia and had nothing in it. But I also know there are film cans that have been fakes that have turned up now and again because some people who've got nothing better to do think that faking the possibility of a missing episode turning up is presumably better than whatever it is else they might be able to do when they're on their own yeah, takes all sorts I guess some people would say this is a colossal waste of everybody's time so who am I to judge um, but I think the Assassinate at Peking one, yeah um, I don't know, go and look it up, this isn't about facts this is scraps of i think you get a few facts don't you but this is this bit is this bit shouldn't even exist this bit unlike marco polo shouldn't exist this bit is way beyond we're at 52 minutes according to my ticker here for a, for a podcast that was designed to be you know 25 minutes with a little bit at the beginning and a little bit at the end so i'm really stretching this out to the crack of doom maybe if i stop doing these bits that shouldn't exist um that will leave space for stuff that should exist. And I'll magic Marco Polo back into existence. So maybe I should stop doing these post-credit things. Uh, but I know some of you listen. And you see, just by giving me a little bit of a positive about... Well, you don't even give a positive. You say, I listen to the end. <laughs> uh, which, is, which is lovely. Any feedback, of course. <laughs> I'm like a moth to the flame for the positivity. Because I'm pathetic. Um, anyway, look... Uh, stop listening to me go and find marco polo i want to see it bring me back bring me the head bring me the film can of assassin at peking but this time with something in it and if you do it in the next 48 hours i'll, I'll be able to comment along to the actual episode uh, rather than the soundtrack and reconstruction which i've which is what i've done for the next release but as i say it's not due out for patrons for another 48 hours uh, so that's that's how long you've got um yeah, because patrons, did I mention, they get three releases a week. They get uh, Monday. I mean, they haven't got this one yet, and they should have done, but that's a technicality. Uh, and then they get Wednesday, and then they get Friday, and on Tuesday they get a picture of my dog. So if you're not a patron, what the hell are you doing? Uh, again, if you're looking for Marco Polo, you're forgiven. No, you're forgiven anyway. Thanks for listening. But
1: if you're listening this far, do go and see a, seek professional help.